the other day, I was looking online at the uh, at some pictures of the destruction that was caused in uh, in London during World War II uh, during the the Blitz. Uh, you know, it was, it was an intense bombing campaign by uh, Nazi Germany against the United Kingdom during World War II. Uh, over 30,000 civilians in London were killed over uh, 57 consecutive days of bombing. And more than seven, or excuse me, 70,000 buildings were, were destroyed, completely demolished. Another 1.7 were damaged. Uh, just an incredible amount of destruction. And uh, you've, you've probably seen pictures of it, pictures of the rubble in, in the streets. Um, anyway, I was looking at this one site, this British site, uh, and there, were, there was a, a pictorial article about how they rebuilt uh, after, after this. You know, the, the, there, there were pictures that were taken in 1950, so this was uh, 10 years after the Blitz, five years after the end of the war. And still just uh, mass destruction. But what was interesting about it was it, it showed these people just uh, living their everyday lives in, in the midst of the, the rubble. Uh, there, there, was this, there was this one picture of this older gentleman sitting on a park bench across the park. And in, in the background, it was just uh, bombed out buildings, you know, partial buildings rubble everywhere there was another picture of some kids playing cricket in the in the cellar of of a bombed out building and so these people are just living their their day-to-day lives uh in in a manner which uh, maybe they were used to it you know that was that was the the new normal for them that must have been what jerusalem was like you know after, after the destruction uh and, and the exile, that the city was destroyed, the walls were torn down, the gates were torn down or burnt, uh, this, you know, leaving the, the, the city pretty vulnerable to attack. And, you know, perhaps they had gotten used to it as well. And this is the backdrop for uh, Nehemiah 2. We're back in Nehemiah, where Nehemiah gets uh, permission from the king to go and, and rebuild the city, to go and rebuild the, the walls and, and the gates. So turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when, you, when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send to me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, 
If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. (coughs) Excuse me. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night... I and a few men with me, and I I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on, on which I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were there who, who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them, the hand of my God had been upon me for good, and also the words of the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Oh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Lord, open our ears that, that we might hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 2, we, we see uh, Nehemiah's vision, and that's what we're going to talk about, Nehemiah's vision this morning. And um, we'll, we'll begin by the inception of, of the vision for, for rebuilding Jerusalem. Now, by vision, uh, I don't mean that Nehemiah had a dream at night. He didn't have, you know, audible voices or, you know, see, see something. Not that God couldn't do that. Not that God didn't do that at times. But Nehemiah's vision was, was more of an inner stirring you know, this, this theme in Ezra and Nehemiah about, about God stirring the heart. So Nehemiah's vision was, 
was that it was an inner stirring from the Lord concerning the, the rebuilding of, of the walls of, of Jerusalem. You know, something that he saw in his, in his mind's eye, so to speak. You know, we, we talked last time, two weeks ago, when we were in Nehemiah 1 about Nehemiah's burden. You know, these, these things are related. So the, the word vision um, here is from the Lord. It's Nehemiah's view of what will take us from where we are to where the Lord wants to take us. It's a, you know, it's a forward look of, of what might be, a forward look at what the Lord is, is going to do. And, of, of course, again, in, in, in this context, it, it, it has to include what, what God wants. Nehemiah's vision uh, corresponded with, with God's vision for, for Jerusalem. Um, yeah, I might, I might have a vision for my ministry here. My vision might be we're going to be a mega church. We're going ha- to have 5,000 members. I'm going to have a private jet. <laughs> Chewila's going to have to uh, build a bigger runway to accommodate my, my dr- But you know what? I don't, I don't think that would have anything to do with what God wanted here. For Nehemiah, the vision was to see Jerusalem rebuilt. For Jerusalem to be safe and secure and you know, not, not vulnerable to, to enemy attack. He envisioned this, this city with, with fortified, fortified walls and, and good, strong, solid gates. And he says in the last verse of this chapter... What his vision was. This is a very good statement of Nehemiah's vision. Very last verse. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. And, uh, you know, it's, it's on this, this prayer of chapter 1 that uh, Nehemiah's vision is, is birthed. The, the starting point was when he heard about the gates being burnt and the walls being in, in rubble from his friends. Uh, you know, the, the inception of, of Nehemiah's vision continued as Nehemiah goes to God and prays. Remember that first chapter was essentially about Nehemiah's prayer to God after he had heard about this. Nehemiah spending time with God, praying for the city, praying for the people. And so this, state, this sets the stage for the meeting with the king in chapter 2. You know, it appears that he had actually spent several months in prayer before this meeting with with the king. And what does he do in in chapter 1? He he prays, he calls out to God. Um, Now, this should be our our default when when we face difficulty, when we hear about things, you know, uh, praying, coming to God, going to God, you know, we think of that hymn, what, what a friend we have in Jesus, what does it say, it says, you know, are, are we weak and heavy laden, uh, cumbered with a load of care, precious savior, savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. We, we see this pattern with, with Jesus, too, don't we, in, in his ministry. 
pattern. Jesus, through the, the Gospels, notice that this, this rhythm, this pattern. Jesus, Jesus prays. He spends time with the Father. Then he works. He, he ministers. And then he takes time out to pray, to get alone with the Father in, in the wilderness, perhaps. You know, kind of a, a recharge, probably. <laughs> And then he works. He, he, he ministers to the, to the people. You know, prayer is essential to the work that God calls us to do. You know, I'd, I'd like to see, uh, I, think, I think we'd all like to see a great movement of God in, in our church, uh, a spiritual awakening in, in our community. Wouldn't that be great? How about in our nation? You know, praying for a great awakening in, in our nation. That's what we need to pray for. But we need prayer. And uh, there's a scholar. He's, he's no longer alive. His name was uh, J. Edwin Orr. He was uh, a man who spent his life studying the great revivals of, of the church. He devoted his life to, to this study. And he, he says... There is no great movement of God that has ever occurred that does not begin with the extraordinary prayer of God's people. And he can go back and demonstrate this. Every, every revival that's ever been has started with, with God's people calling on him in, in prayer. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, In movements of the Spirit, the first thing that happens in which eventually leads to a great revival, is that one man or a group of men suddenly begin to feel this burden, and they feel the burden so much that they are led to do something about it. And so, of course, prayer is not the only thing we do, but it should be the first thing that, that we do. And we see that demonstrated here with, with Nehemiah. You know, through, through his communion with God, Nehemiah was given a vision from God on, on what needed to be done. He's, he's called to action. So in chapter 2, Nehemiah goes to the king about what's in his heart. Remember that Nehemiah then had spent several months in prayer and fasting about the state of Jerusalem, its people, the walls, the gates. Uh, the, the king, when Nehemiah comes to him, he, he senses that Nehemiah is, is sad and that's probably not a good thing for a cupbearer to appear downtrodden or something. You know, the king seems to be kind of concerned that maybe Nehemiah is sick or something, and Nehemiah is tasting his wine, tasting his food for him. You know, just not, not a good thing. But Nehemiah says, you know, why, why should I not be sad? You know, the, the, the city where my ancestors are buried is, is in ruins. So Nehemiah relates to the king about what's happening. And notice what happens during this, this interaction with the king. I, I love this. And uh, John brought this up the, the other night. You know, the king notices the sadness. The king said, what are you requesting of me? And the very next thing it says, Nehemiah says, and I prayed. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Just a quick little prayer. We don't know what he prayed. Uh, if, it me, I, if it was me, I'd probably say something like, you know, Lord, Lord, give me boldness. Help me to speak clearly. 
turn the heart of the king. Uh, you know, help me say the right thing. You know, just sort of a, a, a rifle shot prayer. You know, short prayer, a prayer that, that targets a, a very uh, specific need right now. I love this. I love this. You know, all of our prayers are not going to be long prayers. And there's certainly a, a use for long prayers. We just had one in chapter 1. But the majority, for me, the, the majority of the prayers that, that I offer to the Lord are, are short little prayers throughout the day as I'm just doing my normal things. You know, maybe I'm in, in the car. Or maybe Chris goes somewhere and I just say a little prayer. Lord, protect her. I love this. Rifle shot prayers. What did, what did Jesus say in, in Matthew 6, 7? He says, And when you pray, do not empty or do not heap up empty words like the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. You know, Jesus is saying, It's okay to pray to pray a short prayer. He's more concerned about our about what's in our heart, about our sincerity. There's a time for longer prayers. Uh, my longer prayers are usually in my, my private time with, with the Lord in, in the mornings when I'm going through Scripture. But there's also a great place for these, these short prayers. And I think this is how we, can, how we can actually pray without ceasing. I remember one time I was talking with this, uh, this gentleman in a previous church about praying without season, uh, ceasing. Did I say Seasoning. That's for cooks, I guess. Um, pray without ceasing. And he said, well, you know, I, I can't just sit on a rock, you know, up, up on the mountain. I said, well, that sounds pretty good to me. But uh, no, we don't. We can pray without ceasing just the same way we can have conversation with somebody who's with us. It's just little sentences here and there, you know, short prayers. So anyway, Nehemiah goes to the kings with his concern, the king with his concern, uh, and you can see how God moves the heart of the king. God stirs the heart of the king, just like he did with Cyrus back at the uh, beginning of, of Ezra, just like he did over and over again, as, as, we are, as we saw in Ezra, as we will see in Nehemiah. God stirs the heart. The people respond. Then the king grants Nehemiah the permission to go to Jerusalem. He agrees with his requests. And verse 8, who does God give, or who does Nehemiah give credit to? To God. He says, the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. Remember we saw that, or we heard that, that expression three times in Ezra, the, the good hand of God. Six times actually, I think. Yeah good hand of God was upon me. So the next state, uh, stage of development in Nehemiah's vision is uh, preparation. So Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. He presents the, uh, the letter, the letters from the king to the governors, making sure that everything's in good order. Uh, he, he mentions these two guys, and we're going to hear about them from time to time as we go through this. Sanballat, the Heronite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, who were greatly displeased. We see, we'll see these guys along with uh, Geshem, the Arab. They're the, they're the uh, unholy 
trio, I guess. We'll see them again. Anyway, <coughs> Nehemiah mentioned something that uh, I kind of missed the first several readings, but I think is significant. Nehemiah says in verse 17, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Before he did anything, he took three days and it doesn't say what he did. You know, after the trip, I think he rested. I think he was using these three days to, uh, to pray, to get clarity of thought. You know, I think that's an important principle. You know, seeking God, seeking God's direction. So, he begins after these three days of rest. And he says, I told no one what my God was about. Oh, let's see. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. He didn't tell anyone yet. He, there was no fanfare. You know, he didn't, he didn't have it advertised to Jerusalem. You know, Nehemiah's coming. Big posters on the rocks and things. He didn't tell anyone. He didn't want to uh, draw attention to himself. And uh, he he wisely spent some time just checking the place out, doing some reconnaissance work. He he talks about the different uh, gates that he visited and places along the walls, you know, kind of uh, boots on the ground, examining Jerusalem, inspecting. Uh, He went around the city on a mule, Inspecting the various gates, the the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate. It mentions the the king's pool, which, by the way, this is the pool of uh, Siloam, where Jesus uh, had the blind man wash and Jesus healed him. He did this inspection quietly and, and discreetly. You know, not trying to uh, attract any attention. You know, what what was the exact uh, nature of the damage? What was the extent of the damage? You know, how how should this how should this plan unfold? Why did he keep it quiet? You know, this at this point, I think he didn't really have a, a solid strategy. Um, you know, he he had not inspected the city. He didn't have uh, photographs and and so forth to come up with a plan. If he, if he had uh, come with a lot of uh, hoopla, he probably would have had even more opposition from, from these guys who were greatly displeased. He might have had opposition from, from the Jews, who knows, but he just wisely kept it quiet in, in the beginning stages here. And uh, you know, Nehemiah's vision wasn't something he cooked up himself. You know, God, he makes it very clear that God had had stirred his heart. It was this is what God had put on his heart, and um, you know, he he puts things, he moves us, he puts things in our our hearts. You know, the the motivation is is internal. God gives us when He has something for us to do. He He gives us that desire to do it. What does uh, Philippians two thirteen say? It says, "It is God who works in you." both to will and to work his, his good pleasure. So it gives us 
He gives us the will, the desire, the drive, as well as the, uh, the wherewithal to do what he wants us to do. God motivates and he equips. And so Nehemiah wasn't hasty. We, we've already seen that he was not an impulsive person. He spent quite a bit of time even to get to this stage, but it seems you know, many times to me that God does do that. He moves slowly. And uh, it can be very counterproductive to try to try to rush things sometimes. What motivated Nehemiah? It, it certainly wasn't visions of grandeur and fame. I think he had that in, in Susa, and he left that. He was driven by this God, by this vision of God, this vision that God had uh, put in his heart, that God had implanted in him. And so up until verse 17, Nehemiah hasn't told anyone yet. But in verse 17, we, we see him addressing the people. The, the next stage is exhortation. And he states the problem in verse 17. He says, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. You know, he says, you see the trouble. He's saying, open your eyes and look. You know, maybe they're like the kids playing cricket in the burned out, bombed out building and the guy looking across the park at the rubble and just feeling like, you know, this is normal. We can, we can become accustomed to, uh, to messes. This can happen in churches where there, there are messes. Maybe relational messes that have been going on for years. Divisiveness and gossip and you name it. And people just keep coming every week. And they're used to it. And we just feel, oh, well, this is just, this is church life. This is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. Well, no. There's rubble laying around. There's, there's something wrong. Nehemiah says, look around. Look around. This place is a mess. It's vulnerable to attack. Any, any adversary who wants to come in and attack us is not going to have a hard time because there are places in the wall, many places in the wall where there's nothing. There's gaps. There's no gates. It's open. It's wide open. Um, there's a proverb, Proverb twenty five twenty eight, which says, uh, "A man without self control is like a city broken into and left without walls." And so, this is kind of the the, the picture that uh, that we have here. You know, the the man without self control is like a city with Broken down walls, you know, broken down walls, there, there's chaos. The simile from Proverbs describes the uh, Jerusalem. This uh, destruction is very obvious to, to Nehemiah. So next, Nehemiah exhorts the people with uh, encouraging information. You know, he says, here's, 
here's the problem. Here's the bad news, but, but here's the good news. He says, I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. So Nehemiah told him about how God had moved his heart, about how he had heard from his, he just told him the whole story. You know, my friends came, they told me about the destruction here, and I just got on my knees and prayed. I prayed for months. Uh, then I went to the king. The king asked me, what's wrong, Nehemiah? You know, he went through the whole story, you know, but God stirred the heart when, of the king when Nehemiah presented his case. And the king had granted me, he told them everything that, that I asked, even, even more. The king sent him to rebuild the city. He, he, he told him about how he had gone around the, uh, the city on a, on a mule, inspecting the walls, inspecting each gate. You know, he's beginning to, to let them into his heart. He's beginning to let them be part of this, this vision, you know, for them to catch the vision. Though Nehemiah, through Nehemiah's exhortation, then God is, is beginning to stir the hearts of the people. You know, we, we see the reaction of the people, and it's, it's one of inspiration. Inspiration. Verse 18, what did they say? Let us rise up and build. And it says they strengthened their hands for, for good work. You know, they, they didn't complain. They didn't say, well, that's a lot of work, you know, and I don't know that we've really got the resources to, to fix these walls, you know. Maybe, maybe we should vote about it at, on, on our next annual meeting. Get some bids, yeah, get some quotes, you know. Let's, uh, let's, let's think about this. They said, no, let's, let's rise up and build. Let's do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing and delightful thing when, when the people catch the vision. And it's a glorious thing when that vision is God's vision. They didn't delay. They didn't delay. They strengthened their hands. That means that uh, they prepared themselves. They took courage. They knew this is what God wanted them to do, and they, <laughs> they rolled up their sleeves, so to speak. And they resolved to get, to get the work done. But, you know, good news, bad news. Here, here, there's opposition, it says. Notice it. And, and Nehemiah is going to encounter opposition throughout this whole book. Many times it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up. But the thing is that the people received their inspiration from God. Through Nehemiah's leadership, they, they were catching the vision. Rather than, than shrinking under this opposition, they said, we're going to build the wall. But, you know, we can, um, we can expect opposition. We, we've talked about this before. We talked about this uh, in, in Ezra. Jeering, scorn, discouragement, all these, all these things. Uh, Alistair Begg says, when God's work is done God's way, all hell will break loose to pull down the walls and to keep the walls torn down. Well, in closing, um, 
God used Nehemiah to, to lead the people, to equip the people to accomplish the, the work that God had put in his heart to do. And God, God uses leaders in the church to, to do this, to, to lead and to equip. Paul says this in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. 11 through 13, he, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, the, the, the church these days is God's building project. project church is God's building project so may our vision align with God's vision for for this church may we share the vision in common as God uses us all as he stirs our collective heart so to speak to to do his work let's pray Um, Lord um, let us let us be exhorted by your word Lord, let us take courage, strengthen our, our hands. Might we be inspired by your vision for the church? Lord, that we would grow up and be mature. That we would accomplish uh, the mission that, that you have given us to, to make disciples of all nations, Lord, to uh, bring the gospel to the lost. And once they have come to you, Lord, to uh, disciple and, and to edify and, and build up the, the believers. So, Lord, we, we commit ourselves. We commit this church to you. Amen.